Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, knit, and decorate. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I did not post an episode on Thanksgiving, but I am sure you all were busy with your loved ones and keeping up with Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday. Today's episode makes up for that with a super long chat with my guest, Naomi Feta of Love Stitches. We chat about sewing clothing, simple clothing alterations, and making slipcovers. So, onward to the first segment, which is chit-chat. Thanksgiving was nice and low-key around here, just the way I like it. Lots of football, food, and sewing, of course. I did not overdo our Thanksgiving menu, but I did make the most delicious turkey roulade. I've talked about this in previous Thanksgiving episodes, and I will put a link to the Ina Garten recipe that I I have made made this recipe several times in the past, but I never bought the Calvados brandy that the recipe calls for. And um, until this year, it really made a difference. It is so good. And if you don't already know, Calvados is a French apple brandy. And it, it, it's, it's a um, alcohol that is fermented fruit versus whiskey or scotch are from fermented rye or I think wheat is the other one. Um, but anyway... It's good. It's great. Uh, I actually do prefer brandy, I think, because I like the fruitiness of it. uh, And it like warms you up, especially in wintertime. Anyway, it goes into the stuffing, which is what is rolled up into the turkey breast before it bakes. So think of a sponge cake roll with frosting rolled up in it or fruit or whatever the, the filling is like a Swiss cake roll. It's the same thing, only with turkey and stuffing. And um, it's not that the turkey rolls up into a, a nice spiral, per se, but it is it is rolled at least <laughs> into thirds, um, which sort of makes that spiral look with the stuffing inside of it. So, yeah, that was really delicious. And, of course, Chicago Bears football is like, you know, we're almost to the end of the season and it cannot come soon enough for me because the football team, the Bears football team is seriously disappointing again this season. There are like rare few moments of brilliance, plays that are great, but not enough to win most games. We have like the worst record. (laughs) We're actually not the very last anymore uh, of all the 32 teams. So I guess that's a good thing. Um, I've enjoyed watching a couple of other teams that I do like. However, I will always remain a Chicago Bears fan. Um, 
and uh, grew up here, and that's my team. So I guess, I don't know, for better and worse, it's the Chicago Bears for, for me. Uh, but Kansas City, I really like, and um, Dallas Cowboys are doing well this year, too. Taylor Swift has brought a lot of attention to the Kansas City Chiefs uh, because She's been attending a lot of games, and her boyfriend is a player on the Kansas City Chiefs. So the media has just totally exploited this into a frenzy. And I think by now, pretty much everyone is over it. Uh, But that might just be me, but I, I think that we are. So media, you can just go back to normal. There's not a whole lot to update you on sewing and knitting. It's pretty much the same thing, working through the Table Linen Commission project, which uh, is almost done. It needs to get done. I'm going to be working a lot this weekend on it, Uh, still knitting the prison blanket. And the, I guess, newest thing is that last week I had uh, my two nieces over for a long weekend, uh, a long sewing weekend. So the older is now 15 years old. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe it. These kids grow so fast. I taught her how to sew on a sewing machine when she was, well, I started to teach her when she was five and now she's 15. So her little sister is seven, and that's a great age, I think, for um, a kid to learn, although all kids are different. But um, when the older one was five, uh, you know, there was very limited things you can do on a sewing machine by yourself. But now the seven-year-old is very, can be very independent on the sewing machine, uh, she grasps the knowledge quickly and can reach the pedal <laughs> and uh, can guide the fabric through. That was the first time that she used a sewing machine was this past weekend, and it was very exciting. Uh, we had a great time, and she is very... Um, like me in that she loves to make everything. She's a crafter uh, and uh, loves to hand sew. Uh, And now learning the sewing machine was very exciting for her. We made a pair of pajama pants. They look great. And she was very proud and happy um, about those, as she should be. And in the downtime when I was working with her sister, who was making an apron. We were making the Helen's Closet apron pattern. It is the York expansion pack for the York pinafore. And it's a very nice looking apron. However, there is double fold bias binding around the entire apron. Um, and it's not a standard style of apron. But it, I almost think it's so much better than the normal, regular styles of aprons where that um, strap behind that goes behind your neck sort of seems to pull a lot um, while you're using it. And this one just goes over your head, um, almost like a, a sleeveless dress, but um, 
I'll put a link to the Helen's Closet link to that, but it's really pretty. We did not get that done. It's almost done. So that was a really fun weekend with the girls. It was a nice sort of um, unplugging for me away from work and even like just taking a break from the commission projects with the sewing. So that uh, was really enjoyable. I don't know about you, but I like to buy myself a Christmas gift that is sewing crafting related. And this year I got a beautiful pair of scissors, fabric scissors from Brooklyn Haberdashery. I'm on their email list and they had a Black Friday or it was a Cyber Monday, one of those two days where it was a one day only thing. <laughs> so you have to make up your mind quickly. And uh, I think they also do this because uh, it's very easy to impul impulse buy when it there's a, a time limit like that on it. And I, um, it's by the um, maker uh, Kohana. So I've purchased Kohana before. Those uh, really tiny scissors that I have gotten in the past and talked about. Those are made by Kohana. It's a Japanese uh, company that really uh, makes gorgeous sewing tools and accessories and uh, by hand. So they had these scissors that had three different colors that you could choose from on the handles where they were this resin that was hand I don't know, hand done, hand dipped, somehow handmade and very lustrous and beautiful. Plus the scissors themselves are uh, supposed to be excellent quality. And I did it because it was um, a huge deep discount. And whereas at the normal regular price, I probably would not have gotten these at all. So I, I just got them. And I haven't used them yet, but I just wanted to mention it. And if you are not already on their email list, I would try uh, Brooklyn Haberdashery. If you like hand sewing, hand embroidery, um, uh, mending, they have just a more a more niche, I guess, product. Um, that they um, carry. A lot of it is Japanese um, tools and fabrics, but they also have waxed linen thread and kits. So uh, I really love that shop. And when I actually do get a chance to use the scissors, um, I will let you know. I did open the box up really right away and it, they are just very beautiful. And they come with a, um, a sheath that has a pretty uh, tassel on it. So I, um, so far, I'm really very excited and pleased about that purchase for myself. And I'm wondering if you guys do the same thing or if not, think about it and, you know, let me know. I'd love to hear what people buy for themselves uh, as a treat for their uh, craft, knitting, sewing, or whatever. 
All right. So I'm not going to take any more time with chit chat so that we can get on to my conversation with Naomi Feta. But before I start there, I, I'm going to do something a little different and add um, a little music in between these two segments. You can enjoy and listen to it. It's a today I've picked a holiday song, but um, or you can just fast forward directly to our conversation. Otherwise, whatever you choose, please enjoy and I, after this episode, I have got one more episode left for the first half of season six.
Naomi Feda has a sewing-based business where she does bridal gown and formal wear alterations. She makes custom-fitted slip covers and teaches alterations via online and in-person classes. Uh, and she has recently started her own YouTube channel with some tutorials. Hello, and welcome to the Make and Decorate podcast, Naomi. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me. What a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to chat with you about garment sewing, alterations, and all that kind of stuff, because I think it's very intimidating to a lot of people who sew, and even like people who quilt that uh, could definitely hop over to the alteration side, um, tend to shy away from it just because maybe like it's just not a straight line sewing or whatever. But anyway, we're going to talk all about that. So I'm very excited. And um, and you're located in New York, right? Yep. Yep. So I'm about two hours north of New York City. That's usually how people identify where we are. And we're straight up, if you're familiar with New York at all, straight up the Hudson River. So Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. So I'm actually like my town is right on the river, but I'm probably six seven miles from the river but we live yeah, oh that's Hudson. nice mm -hmm. i i like um that northeast coast area it's very i don't know another word to say but bucolic you know it's like all the beautiful rolling yes. hills and and um the trees and and the, a lot of um we were in vermont which is right next to new york yes. um a lot of gorgeous just like creeks and streams yes. everywhere it was just so really very pretty yeah. so anyway yeah it's very picturesque um we have cousins that live out in new york okay um, a little bit further i think a little further north than you because they are right next to vermont i think i'm i'm less than two hours from the border probably even less than that it's very nice. You kind of you're around a lot of different uh, states yes, yeah. uh, within within yeah. driving we distance. Have, um, I'm sure Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Vermont are very close. Yeah, yeah, very pretty places too. All of those. All right, so let's learn about you and your story, and just start when when did you start sewing? I was quite young. So my mom, not I mean not crazy young but my mom was the oldest of 12 and so when I was a child many of her siblings were getting married and I just remember getting the dress fabric and the pattern in the mail for like the flower girl dresses and that's my first introduction to kind of wanting to learn to sew we always had a sewing machine in the house like my mom knew how to sew I mean she didn't sew a lot, a lot. She was a nurse by trade, but it was always there. It was always available. It wasn't like it was something that was a foreign object. And so it was my first mm -hmm. introduction to sewing. And just um, after that, I just wanted, you know, like at Easter, I'd want to make a dress or um, school holidays, I'd want to you know, make something. And I got into uh, doing like a braided rag rug from just like a, a big garbage bag of old t-shirts I just remember cutting them up and wanting to do that <laughs> and um, I was probably about 11 when I wanted to make a quilt and it was totally my <laughs> own pattern and it was just kind of like these um, geometric shapes but my grandmother just let me 
take up a, a bag of old shirts from my grandfather's closet and turn them into a quilt. And so it's just one of those things. I just picked it up and kept going with it. Wow. That's really interesting. And the fact that you really, well, when you're that young, you really don't have that fear yet of making mistakes. So it's good that you started as young as you did, I think. Uh, did you kind of feel that? Like you weren't really afraid to make a mistake when you were like, let's say making that quilt for the first time. Um, well, that's an interesting, I guess I would say that I, huh, did I have a fear of making a mistake? I think <laughs> I didn't have any rules to follow. So, or, like, or not even making a mistake, yeah. but perfection. Yes. Like shooting for so it was perfection. Like, I felt like I could just think of an idea and do it. And there was no like mm -hmm. wrong way to do it. And there was nobody like judging mm -hmm. me. Or there was nobody like right. anything else. So and that's so exactly then, what I mean. Like to me, that's kind of like, you know, you don't have that uh, fear of doing something wrong. You right. just thought it up yes. and you tried it. Yes. So that's really great. Um, yeah. And uh, so you started off, you sewed, you sewed dresses and clothes and then yes. you wanted to do the rug and the, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Cause yeah. I always like to do everything too. <laughs> yeah. All right. So when you were at your formative beginning sewing years, has anything changed about what you like about sewing or is it pretty much kind of been the same as you've kind of been sewing over the years? I think that now looking back at it, I find sewing to be like very therapeutic. And even like when I'm sewing for clients, I will just like to go and just sew and kind of close out the world for a couple of hours and listen to a podcast mm -hmm. and just have my mental space. And so I think that that's amazing. I think growing up, so the alterations part was not something at all in my radar when I was sewing mm -hmm. as like during my formative years. It was more mm -hmm. of thinking, well, what new things can I make? Though I do like to backtrack that just slightly because my grandmother tells <laughs> the story of like, I went to TJ Maxx or something. I think she took me school shopping and it was a bodysuit. And I didn't like the body. So, you know, when they used to snap down, <laughs> down yes. underneath. So mm -hmm. I turned it into a shirt. So that was probably my first like actual alteration. Uh -oh. Because there, so there was some connection of turning clothing into something that you like better. But it was very much a pat. Let's go to the store and buy fabric and a pattern. Yeah, for me too. Yeah. yeah. Back, back when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it really was just, um, you know, that's what you did. You actually, you just went to the local fabric store, looked through all the big four yes. patterns yes. and got the fabric at the same store yes. Yeah, yes. for the project. Yep. Mm -hmm. So very different back then and um, still fun though. I mean, I loved going oh, to the, the fabric store. Me too. And I loved looking through those <laughs> big pattern books. One thing that I, I did, this is a, such an 80s thing, but um, the at the time it, it was pretty popular to make your own like photo album book with um, the p quilt uh, 
batting and you cover it up with the fabric and you cover the whole oh, album. Yes. So it's like a puffy, yes. like a puffy cover. <laughs> and then I, and then you make your own little picture frame in the front, like maybe an oval and then put little pearls around it or trim. And yeah. And I, and that lame fabric was in. So I remember making one of those. It was like this lame shiny yes. <laughs> with yes. all the trims <laughs> with the hot glue gun. <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. But yeah, I've seen so many of those. Mm-hmm. But but it was like trip to the store, trip to the fabric store. I got to make my puffy fabric photo album. <laughs> so fun. Oh, those were the days. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Um, I ask a lot of guests this, uh, but what types of sewing machines do you use? For instance, um, mechanical or uh, high-tech electronic ones, vintage. Everybody's got their different preferences. So I, I always love to find out what that is. My main machine that I use is an industrial Juki. And so it's it's got a motor, it's got an oil pan underneath it. And so it's, it has its nice. own table. And that one yeah. is uh, for the speed. So... Mm-hmm. It only does forward and backward. There's no zigzag mm-hmm. or anything like that. But you can change all of like the pressure feet. So uh, that's my baby, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and I would do. I would say I probably do about eighty percent of my sewing on that because so much of it mm-hmm. is, you know, straight stitching. Straight stitch. And yeah. then I have. I, I don't have an actual cover stitch machine. I had bought a serger back when I started as a business. So it was like 2007, 2008 was when I bought it. Mm-hmm. And like it, looking back, I probably would have bought a five thread, but I wasn't really like thinking about it. And I bought a four thread and it's worked well for me. And that one's like a Husqvarna. Um, mm, and it's, okay. it's what the stores were carrying like I went to a sewing machine shop and bought that one what that was my first serger was uh, my mom got it for me it was a husky lock Mm -hmm. that's Uh, fine yeah and I and I think it was not a fight it was a four thread but produced really good yeah uh overlock stitches yeah and I mean I think I've only had it repaired like once and then I kind of learned how to take it the whole thing not the whole thing, but the majority of it apart myself to be able to clean it and oil it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of learned the reason that it broke the first time was (laughs) I was trying to do overlock on a slipcover that was too fat. So I was trying to, so I burnt it out. (laughs) Oh, I see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was working it just a little too hard. Too hard. Yeah. Yes. Because it's probably not. I mean, there are industrial surgery machines, walking foot mm-hmm. machine, blind hem foot. Yes. Um, you know, when I visit um, my workrooms, I just love it because I just see like these. They're usually at the workrooms, they kind of have this uh, sort of layout and like it might be along one wall, but it's like so they can, I guess, move from one machine to the next. They're all kind of like lined up. Yes. So they go from like their straight stitch to their blind stitch yes. to their yes. <laughs> walking <Yes>. foot. <laughs> yeah, I love going places and seeing all of them too. And like sometimes mm-hmm. I'll like 
putts around and look at like, oh, should I think about getting a machine like this or that? And sometimes it boils down to like room or practicality or right whatnot because they take up a lot of space yeah yeah mm-hmm. and so the and then my third machine that I use a bit is I it's not the old but it's it's computerized it also has a push to start feature but it's a necky um Mm -hmm. And that one has a stitch that's actually very similar to a cover stitch, but it's only like the machine only has a top thread and a bobbin. And then it also Mm -hmm. has like um, some, you know, plenty of other like decorative stitches or Mm -hmm. um, stretch stitches, et cetera. So, Mm, yeah, but that, and does, does it use that one needle that has breaks off into two for the cover stitch? You know, I have to say, a lot of people <laughs> like that. I do not. I'm not a fan of the twin needle. I don't either. So because I it puckers. It's just the me. Fabric, right? I've tried it over and over, and I'm just like, I just don't love it. So it has the potential to do that, but no, there's a mm-hmm. stitch where it's a, it's not an exact cover stitch, so it actually oh, crosses over, but it makes it look like that. But you can hem t-shirts on oh, nice. it really yeah. nicely, and I'm I think it's. Mm-hmm. Tr- you know, it looks very like professional and clean. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of stuck with yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because um, I love watching these YouTube videos of um, Japan has a lot of them and some Korea and one of them's like called the process or something. And they, they show the process of something being made. And there was one, in Japan about uh, the process of these blue jeans being made. And okay. it's like some famous place in Japan, Bed- Bed- Betty Smith, I think was the name of it. First, well, a side note, they have a very scary looking logo, by the way. <laughs> Betty, their logo has got like this clown red hair and like big I don't know. I was, I'm very afraid of clowns. And when I first saw it, I was like, whoa, that's a little scary, that logo. But anyway, that's a side note. But um, the point of it is that they did not cover stitch, but they did make it look like a cover stitch, but they did it manually one row. And then they went back and did the second row and how they got it so straight and even was just pretty amazing to watch yeah. so I mean not even some of the professional workrooms even you know use that they kind of I think maybe for speed I don't know what um, but they can do it all on that one straight stitch machine well yeah I know it's interesting yeah. to watch everybody's processes and I think it's always true like not everyone does it the same and that's okay like everybody kind of finds what works for them. Actually, I've been trying to do a couple new techniques myself recently. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I might just go back to the way that I was doing something. Like I've been trying different <laughs> techniques with a rolled hem because I just had seen oh, okay. different people start to do it differently. I was like, well, maybe that would speed up my process because I do a lot of like rolled hems for bridal work and prom dresses and so it's on like thin fabric chiffon and all of that and um i know i might just go back to my own Mm -hmm. my own method yeah because there's always so many different ways to do to to do a like 
a similar thing. You mentioned, I think you started your alteration business at around 2007 or eight. Yes. So it was a very slow start, meaning it was just kind of, I had just gotten married. Um, I had made my own wedding gown and I had seen someone else do this business from home. And so I had this idea of, oh, like eventually I'll probably have kids and I'll want to work from home. And so that's kind of like what spurred it on to start. So then my um, adopted dad, who was like a mentor to me, he knew I had this idea. So he printed me business cards, named the business and handed them to me. And that was, (laughs) that was my start. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't really know what I was going to encounter as I started a business, meaning like it was kind of like you just put yourself out there and I had no concept of what type of work people would bring to me. In fact, in my mind, I anticipated making dresses from scratch for people or something like that. And that wasn't really what people asked for. So that's kind of how I got started into alterations was it was just, that's what people were requesting. And so I just kept taking what they asked for and just learning how to do it. So, wow. Yeah. Sometimes I look back and I'm <laughs> like, what? what? So it was like my husband and my dad and they were like, the t- they would just start handing out business cards. And then I would just start saying, yes, sure, I'll do it. And like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea. Um, so, but at that point, it certainly wasn't like I, I was still working full time. It wasn't like, you know, I need to make this work right now or else mm-hmm. like I need so to make a certain to, amount of money. Yeah. To- Make it work, yes, yeah. as Tim Gunn would say. Yeah, like a good five years of like, mm-hmm. you know, doing it at my own pace. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is pretty cool. Um, I just, uh, I, I don't, I don't have that. I think where I could just figure out alterations. Um, I think the more that I sew, though, so I think that maybe the key is if you have sewn for a while you start your your brain starts to work in that way of being able to figure out the seams and how they behave yes yeah and uh, alterations is something that I think is a very useful skill for anyone to have uh, because ready-made never fits right Right. I don't think I mean I don't know if you have that the the model that the a manufacturer makes the clothes based on, then fine, it'll they'll fit you right. But everybody else else's body shapes right. are not gonna right. fit. <laughs> It'd either be too big up here or, you know, down below. And so um I remember somebody I saw on TV and uh it stayed with me, but uh it was like a fashion sort of thing and and they said like, you know, you don't have to get the most expensive clothes at all. But it makes sure that whatever you buy, like, is altered to fit you. Yes. And then that makes all the difference in the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, like, stayed with me. And it's just like, yeah, when I don't like something that is ready-made that I see, it's because it's just not fitting right. It's, 
you know, something's wrong. So, uh, yeah, so alterations. So that's interesting. You sort of are self-taught on that. And <laughs> did you ever have anybody upset with what the, what you did as far as alterations? Um, <laughs> so I definitely made my fair share of mistakes at the beginning. Um, I'm trying to think. It was more like it. I feel like I didn't have a precise blind ham at the beginning. You know, those type of things where like, your skills are still like you're working on them. And I mean, it's not like we're ever completely perfect. We're always like working to better ourselves. Um, I mean, looking back, I think at like my first jacket zipper that I put in for someone, I'm like, why on earth did they pay me for that? But, and obviously like my prices were way, way lower than they are now, that kind of thing. But it was also like this element of you just like work at it until you figure out how to make it Mm -hmm. well. And then like I did do, I mean, I picked up like knacks from like Threads Magazine or Mm -hmm. I would find like tailoring books at garage sales. I feel like YouTube Mm -hmm. was not nearly the thing then that, I mean, it was, I think it was just launched maybe in 2008 but I didn't really get into it and so there wasn't like training out there really I didn't really know anyone that did that and the pattern review did some classes and Mm -hmm. I think I went to like a couple of day seminars here and there that might have been affiliated with the American Sewing Guild Mm-hmm. those kind of things so I, like try to do what I could to fa- definitely to and then you do you just keep learning as you go and I think especially because I started off without the pressure of having to make it something then it was like I could take projects as they come or came and just kind of tackle them take them apart and I definitely think I enjoy the problem solving part of the brain of like, okay, so like thinking through how to take something apart and put it back together again. So even now, if I get like a project that I'm like, hmm, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with that or how I'm going to go around this corner, maybe for a slipcover, what can I do to, so I'll like, it's almost like a puzzle piece in my brain that I'll just mull over for a couple of days until it kind of solidifies. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That, you know, makes sense. And I kind of have that conversation with myself. So I think I definitely have that like brain that I really enjoy that. What made you want to go toward to, to doing the slip covers? Cause that's a kind of a specific, uh, kind of area um well my husband told somebody I could do it and I had a chair lid in my sewing room ah your husband (laughs) (laughs) that's too funny so it was not intentional whatsoever wow um so I mean that is also I would say the almost the benefit of living in a small town is that there's not, number one, there's not a ton of people doing the work. Like, the, mm-hmm. there's not the competition. And so then also, like, it was somebody my husband had known for years. And it was something they couldn't find anyone else to do. 
and mm-hmm. so there was not there weren't any high stakes in the game. Yeah, custom slip covers. It's a very unique field, and a lot of even like drapery workrooms don't make slip covers. Upholsterers may, but they don't even really like to do that. So uh, it's hard to find a slip cover person that can make those slip covers because you do fitted slip covers, which are what you really want. Yeah. You don't want yeah. like just like the big piece of fabric tucking in everywhere. Right. So right. you're really like making these couture pieces for the furniture. Yeah. I almost always have a running wait list mm. for people. Because it really can extend the life of their upholstery. A slipcover can, or it can totally change the look, which is which is a nice thing too, without having to invest in, in a whole new sofa or chair. Just last week, I dropped off one. It was for a sleeper sofa, and they had purchased the the couch about twenty years ago, and it was one of those pieces that was made with a slipcover on it. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know how like I'm sure you know those yep. pieces that they're not made to be displayed without a slipcover, right? Yeah, there's just muslin underneath. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And so the the previous cover had lasted the 20 years and it was actually not in that much disrepair, but they wanted a new look. So it mm-hmm. was like a maroon and they were switching to a navy, but they also had cats. And so over time, slip covers, you know, a, a cat and the, the claws can kind of um, pick at the cover a little mm-hmm. bit. But the cover can also be a way of like protecting the the piece from damage sure. from a cat, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I get a lot of clients that have pets that ask for subcovers. Yeah, and then they can just switch it out in another like three to five years for another slip cover. You're right; it would protect it uh, from that. And fabric, I mean, it does break down over time so uh, if it lasts 20 years that's pretty good yeah Mm -hmm. yeah definitely right back to alterations you do a lot of bridal and formal wear and uh, this is also something that you just sort of you know built up your skills to to do I didn't focus on bridal and formal wear that much until about two years ago oh okay In fact, it was kind of like I had done them and I've always done like lots of prom and I've done a decent amount of bridal, but I hadn't really advertised for it. I was connected, well, during the pandemic and then we ended up moving. And so everybody's in this whole, you know, transition phase. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was kind of like, I was like, well, what exactly am I going to do? with the business so I always there's this is like the backstory leading up to (laughs) the transition um and so I had always taken like everybody like all sorts of alterations and it was really sucking time and not that I don't love that like because I love seeing people and all of that Mm -hmm. but we moved from like living kind of in a village into moving more the outskirts really only like a five mile move but not the central location more into like a private community a quieter community and so just like figure out, well, do I want the foot traffic? It was really draining, mm-hmm. I think, by the end, but I didn't really realize it, like how much people would just drop by. It's a drain. It's a time suck. I'm always answering my phone. So there was that aspect of it. And then 
um, there was a seamstress or a bridal seamstress membership community that started in Connecticut. The founder started it in Connecticut. Um, and she had reached out to me via like Instagram because she saw some stuff on Instagram. So it's Stitch Collective. And uh, then I just joined in with all these other bridal seamstresses. And then I think I feel like I had the confidence to be like, oh, if I had a question and I had something that I couldn't figure out, I have somebody that I could ask. So we do like um, monthly meetings. It's actually twice a month and like via Zoom trainings for like cost or how to talk to brides and all like a whole gamut of things. So that's been really, really helpful for me in making that transition, knowing that there's people that are doing it that I could ask if I need help or want advice on like a different bustle position. I would say maybe it is the whole personality thing as far as like, I always tackled the bridal. I just like, and you just learn to take something apart and put it back together again. And even in a, a wedding gown, like the seams are still the same. So if you have the basic knowledge of say, you know, a lot of it might be princess seams. Um, there's the added effect of like boning or there's a lot of mesh material in there. So it is all very fine handiwork, especially if you're having to pick out stitches. So just, you know, being very careful, like all of that, but it is, it was definitely a skill that, learned over time and slowly getting into it over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. It wasn't something where I felt like a high pressure up at, you know, at that point. And so now as I kind of moved into focusing on that more, it wasn't, there wasn't that pressure there either. That is such a great resource that actually reached out to you. <laughs> yes, definitely. I think it was like, as they were just beginning to form the community, um, contacting, you know, people that were interested in joining. And it's been really amazing because I've realized, you know, especially as a home-based business seller, um, thinking, oh, well, am I the only one that does this? And of course, the beauty of the internet and the number of like bridal seamstresses or alteration seamstresses that are work, like they like working from their home. They like having a home office and Um, having that flexibility and like it's not you know a good portion of the group have a storefront and a good portion of us don't and we're all okay with that like for me I've kind of been like uh, maybe in 10 years but I don't know I definitely love the flexibility of not having to have a storefront yeah and there's a there's a a lot that comes with a storefront Uh, yeah I, it's good. I think you're right. It's nice that you are able to do that from your home. And um, it, it, the I think the bridal and the formal wear, too, is a nice opportunity because it's a bit more lucrative um, and and you're you're making more complex uh, changes and alterations. And you're working with fabrics that, you know, <laughs> if you if you take the stitches out, uh it'll show the needle holes. So you kind of have to like get it right the first time. (laughs) And I'm sure that there's a ton of just like hand work, like you said earlier to it, um, than there would be just like, you know, 
hemming a pair of pants you could do on the machine. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah so for dresses that have, say, lace overlays in them, often you have to like lift up the lace overlay in any sort of beadwork that's with that's sewn on top of it and like lift that up to get to the seam alter the seam and then hand stitch that all back down so that yes so then that's a lot of fine yeah like, needlework yes <laughs> definitely that's something that I think I would like to venture into and I like to do everything but uh, <laughs> it's just that would be too stressful for me I think it's nice because you, well, you have the more adventurous spirit and um <laughs> And you did learn a bit more, like you said, from that one group, and uh, which is a good yeah. resource. So that kind of can give you more confidence. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, they do say, like, if you really wanted to learn, you could, like, buy a wedding dress at Goodwill and just start taking it apart. Just to- <laughs> <laughs> There's no pressure. There's no stakes uh, involved. Oh, that's a good thought, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I've just seen videos of people taking up part like if if they have to make something beaded smaller you have to like do the little hammer on the beads to i don't know break them apart or something so <laughs> it could have been just them being a little bit melodramatic with the little hammer but <laughs> no, i do know some people do use a hammer i tend not for the most part, mm-hmm. I haven't found like I haven't found that method to be. You know, it's we all have it's our own scary. methods. So yeah. I've tried it before. Yeah. Um, yeah, part of it is because so especially if you're hemming a dress, and I haven't run into this so much with actual wedding gowns, but more with like fa- formal wear. I've had a lot of like mother of the bride dresses or like black tie event dresses where they have sequins that are going straight down vertically and so in order to hem it and they're embedded in like um, a tool and so in order to hem it you're taking off like three to four inches at the bottom which means that you're also going to be cutting across that line of beads and if you just you know cut it and don't secure the end of the beads then every single line is gonna fall (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh it sounds like a nightmare yes Yes, we have that right (laughs) um so no you just learn okay so like my method is i like to just i'll measure up i'll know where i am going and i secure at the end of the beat like the last bead and go up mm-hmm. and then i'll like take the remaining ones off so like everybody gets their different method mm-hmm. but that's what i like to do is like i'll knot it and secure mm-hmm. and then go over and then go over sounds good so, yeah yeah all right so you are um also uh putting up tutorials on your website and have some online classes started your YouTube channel. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, alterations for us, you know, regular muggle people. (laughs) Um, And just like, you know, where do we start? What type of alterations do you recommend for beginners? And uh, are there, well, let's start with that one. And because I have another whole, that's a different like branch of the topic. So let's start with where we should start. (laughs) 
Um, yeah. So I, th- I think this is always such an interesting question is where to start, like start with something you have, like something you have that you're like, oh, it doesn't fit quite right. What could I do to it? I mean, shortening a pair of pants is like really basic. Mm-hmm. You think if you sew anything, whether you quilt or whether you are a pattern sewer, it's just a straight line. Mm-hmm. And so I know having jeans is one thing that kind of um, stumps people a Mm -hmm. little bit, I think, because there is the bulk of the jean, like, so especially when you're going over the side seam Mm -hmm. where there's that, you know, double stitching. And like, so if you were to shorten them, your machine can kind of act up. And so like learning how to go over that mm-hmm. without a lot of trouble is something that. That's where you can use a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Flatten up. I don't know. You might break your machine. You do that part. <laughs> well, good point. Good point. <laughs> well, that's where I started is just hemming things, hemming pants. Yeah. And, and then I did learn how I, this, I still remember uh, I will never forget, but when I learned how to hem jeans where they keep their original hemline, you know, it's got that sort of, um, like you said, thicker part at the bottom. It's it's kind of a thing where it's you keep the original last part of that hem and it looks like you've never altered the jean at all versus if you cut that off and you fold it up, that's not really how the jean is like supposed to look, right? <laughs> So I actually do, my preferred method is to cut them off Mm -hmm. and get matching thread. And so in my Juki, I can actually make it look. Oh, you make a whole new (laughs) jean. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. So then, but from, if you're using a home machine, Mm -hmm. I 100% understand why. Yeah. It's much more challenging to make it look like. An actual manufacturer. I think hem. so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that industrial machine can do so much more. <laughs> has so much more power. It, just, it has the power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, it, it sure does. I don't know if you've ever watched um, back. I, I don't know if that show is even still on anymore, but it's a PBS show. Angela Wolf would always do sort of like some alteration segments, and I loved those absolutely loved it it was just because that stuff is not out there really very much uh and which is good that you're doing your youtube channel um yeah it's, it's a work in progress yeah <laughs> i'm but, learning as i but go it's great uh because uh, in the last couple of years um i've had to do alterations to like some linen pants that i've bought because they make ready-made makes linen pants so big and okay. the rise and the crotch go so low. <laughs> and I'm like, this looks terrible. So I scoured YouTube to try to find how you do that. How do you adjust the rise? And there's several videos out there, but there was only the one, Jennifer Stern, who who actually did make sense and it looked a bit more yeah because these Mm -hmm. other ones were just like crazy and you end up with like lopsided sides and stuff like that but yeah I mean it's it's uh the alterations I think is a scary topic and a lot of people just don't even try it and yet now 
um, I mean, alterations are very expensive, um, at, especially at the department stores, because they tend to charge, I guess, a lot more for whatever reason, but they do, uh, or at least Nordstrom does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we... <laughs> You would laugh because I totally live in the country. <laughs> Meaning, like, the closest any, like, mall-ish that's a real decent mall would be an hour-plus drive in either direction. Oh, wow. So, like... There's not really departments. There's Kohl's. There's a Kohl's. That's like my there's sister. She lives in Iowa, and they're yeah. their nearest. Like, like you just said, with the mall is an hour away from them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it would be helpful to to know how to alter things. Um, yeah. So there's not there aren't really mm-hmm. stores locally that are altering. Oh, I see. Within the store. Yeah. yeah. Well, and some of that is that it's hard to find people who want to yes. even do that. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. all right. So we can start by hemming. And uh, I think another area is taking in a waste. Um, and I say, so there's like sleeveless tops, are an easier place to start because you're not having to work with a sleeve. So if it's hanging too low, if um, if the arm size is hanging too low, so like if you're trying to adjust from the shoulder seam, that's an alteration that's not super complex. So again, it's if it's not a lined item, then it's again it's easier to adjust I often have got you know people that say you have a shirt and it's maybe you do have broader shoulders but you're narrower further down and especially like ready-made these days often there's not a lot of seams so it's you can take the side seam down and, you know, learning how to do that on a knit um, item is you just practice. But again, if you're really, really nervous about it, mm-hmm. like you could always buy an item at Goodwill mm-hmm. and just, ma- you know, mess around with it a little bit and not worry about it. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. And uh, and some of them are just sort of common sense where. Um, like for instance, a t-shirt that looks too boxy. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you can just simply, um, start at the bottom hem and sort of like draw mark on there a little bit of a curve up to the arm hole. Right. I mean, that's a pretty simple stitch to try out yeah. and it makes, a, yeah. it makes a big difference. So I think, um, it you're, makes you're a right. huge difference. So people yeah. should just kind of like throw their fear out the window and, either practice on their own clothes (laughs) (laughs) and I I can tell you though for me when I get a successful alterations I get so excited and so like proud of myself and I want to wear that clothing then I I just because sometimes when I just uh don't get around to doing the alteration then I don't wear it and that's a waste uh so are there 
um, alterations that maybe should be avoided. So like if we're going shopping and, you know, we really love this one piece, but maybe it's not in our exact size. Um, should they, should they go bigger? Probably not smaller. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, for the most part, I don't recommend buying something that's too small. I mean, mm-hmm. I can tell you, so I just recently, well, it was like back in the spring, um, someone, it was, they had this beautiful dress that they fell in love with. It came in a size too small for them, or it was, let me, if I think if I can remember correctly, I think they were smaller in the waist, but they're bigger in the bust. And so it fit up until the, the waist and then it would go, but it needed a lot of alterations because it was about five or six inches too long for them because they're mm-hmm. very petite. Mm-hmm. So in light of the fact that they loved the dress, I was like, well, we can put gussets in the size, like using the fabric that we're taking off the hem, we can put gussets in the side seams. And so it's possible. And it turned out beautifully, but that is like a, a, much higher complication of mm-hmm. well and again I should also phrase that like this had like three or four layers of fabric because it was like a sheer and then there was like mm-hmm. an illusion underneath it mm-hmm. so meaning like judge your judge the alteration you're tackling by those type of things like don't do that for your first project start with alterations that are like one layer like cut out the like lined pants, the lined dresses and that stuff. Initially, you'll get there. <laughs> the thread. So is it, oh. it poly thread I hear is better and stronger for garment construction. Is that kind of what you go by? So that was an interesting question uh, in terms of like, so I quilted a little bit as a kid, but I haven't really done a lot lately and years and years. I have gotten like the Guterman poly thread like the whole time I've been in alterations. And so I would say like that's my personal preference. Mm-hmm. If you're getting like a cotton thread, it could shrink. Um, but I also order from like Wawak. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard. Yeah, yeah. I do too. Mm-hmm. And so they have all the variety of like kinds and sizes but i will get the guterman mm-hmm. poly for almost all my projects I like guterman yeah. except for slip covers mm-hmm. um and the various weights so even like we were talking about like jeans mm-hmm. hemming jeans like making your own hem so getting that like top stitching weight mm-hmm. guterman poly yeah. actually looks very similar to what is in the store or, or you know like the jeans and you can match the different yellows mm-hmm. and browns to the jean hem. Yeah. Last yeah. year I got, um, I think it is Guterman and they had like a five pack of threads from the gold, couple of gold colors into like the blue mm-hmm. into the darkest. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been I very useful. I've, I found a lot of yes. uses for that thread and you're right. It really does um, up the, the look. Of, of what you're yes, sewing yes a lot so yeah that thread makes a big difference and um 
other notions that are good for alterations? Do you have any um, suggestions? Like lots of like sea rippers, type of rulers, or oh, seam rippers. Um. <laughs> yeah, you do have to become comfortable with the seam ripper. That is so true. Mm-hmm. Um, I de- right, definitely. I have like a gazillion measuring things like I just have like tape measures everywhere a lot of I have a lot of six inch rulers I have like um reg, you know a 12 inch rulers let's talk about that six inch ruler because <laughs> yes. I I see a lot of uh alteration um people using that uh especially for just like measuring where to mark the hem of a pant um I was fascinated because I was watching this one um, measure that with just that little six inch ruler. And I'm like, why didn't I ever think of that? <laughs> Went out and got myself a little metal six inch ruler. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Cause it's ri- yeah, rigid because- and you kind of need that. Yes. Yeah. And it's so easy to hold. Mm-hmm. It's funny talking about six inch rulers. I have a good handful. Of, so I have a couple that have the slider. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a couple metal ones and one of the metal ones, it's more like has the grooves in it Mm -hmm. rather than like the black lines. And what I realized is like, I don't love that one as much because the one that has like, that's a metal one with the black markings, Mm -hmm. it's just so much easier to see. And so it, like you become aware of like, oh, this is like wasting, wasting my time because I'm like spending too much time <laughs> figuring out what it's at. like. And just the whole like, it's not hard to read the one with the grooves in mm-hmm. it, but it's just like when it's with the block on the metal, you can see it. And then I have a clear one that is very similar, like that same kind of like, it's just there's this delay in my cog cognitive thinking of like <laughs> well, what's that saying to me for some reason yeah. when it's like the clear colors and then but when you just have like the metal ruler with the black writing right. on it, for some reason that seems, seems to be to just stand out a little bit yeah. from the silver yeah. of the metal um yeah. okay so let's move on to sustainable clothing because you do a lot of that and um uh, I saw a video of yours. I think it might be on your blog. You have a blog on your website and you yeah. are replacing a yoke on a shirt and overlaying la- okay. lace on it. Yeah, And it was really yes. pretty and it didn't seem like it yes. took you very long. No, it didn't. I guess I've always been more of like the sustainable store in terms of like repairing things. Mm-hmm. But then it was as I was getting into starting to teach it that I was almost like, well, why would people want to learn how to sew? And I realized like, because like often do people want to learn just to craft and, and have a hobby or do you want to learn? Because like we're all becoming more interested in like, being sustainable and I think you know the whole idea of like pulling a little bit away from like the consumer mentality Mm -hmm. that I think we probably all have like been influenced by to some extent started recognizing how much sewing is related to like the sustainable aspect because if you can't sew people are just throwing things away as soon as they're broken Mm -hmm. as soon as like one little thing or one little stain (laughs) yes yes that too and so recognizing that like sewing opens a whole new world and whether it's even the button 
on the pair of Mm -hmm. pants that you can't wear or the pants that are too long and so you're not wearing them Mm -hmm. or you lost weight and so they're two inches to you know all of these things so that particular shirt the yoke was worn and I was like I don't want to throw this shirt so trying to think creatively well what can we do with them and it I mean it sounds kind of funny when I actually say it but I'm like to some extent you can get inspired by fast fashion meaning well like the whole idea of lace just I seem to see it cropping up Mm. within like Mm ready-mades very often lately and it is pretty it's like a a cute look and so this was like an old tablecloth that I who knows it's like a little piece of lace that I've had hanging around forever Mm -hmm. and I thought oh well that would be perfect and again you seam rip of course yes (laughs) yeah to seam rip around most of the yoke I just stitched it back on and then you put it back together exactly the way it was that it came apart. Um, As far as actual time, I would say like you could budget like an hour for that project. I would think especially Mm -hmm. like would be a decent amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I always find that to be in terms of alterations, very satisfying compared to like, if you've, been making your clothes from scratch Mm -hmm. you know how many hours worth of work usually goes into that but if you can like kind of revamp something Mm -hmm. in an hour you feel like accomplished and like oh now I can wear this Mm -hmm. again it's just such a good thing to learn and um, to get more confident every time I do something it just boosts my confidence a little bit more and then also for instance like hemming pants I've been just doing so much because my husband oh he loves to put stuff in this mending pile like oh got another <laughs> mend for you to do got another mend zip zip <laughs> he just thinks I can zip a zip and uh so yeah <laughs> um but you get faster and more adept at yeah, it you too. and mm-hmm. for me I have gotten a bit more adventurous like I would mm-hmm. never have tried to tackle that um shortening the rise on the linen pants before. Uh, But since I've been doing a lot of mending and hemming, I just decided to do it because um, I didn't want (laughs) to, I didn't want to take it back with the whole trip back to the the store because this one particular store, it doesn't matter. I've gotten there when it first opened and there's always like these long lines. Uh, to, to oh, take stuff back yeah. so yeah. then you know I'm always yes. like well in the time and the gas that I spend that I save <laughs> yes I mean so just to put this out there as far as the rise mm-hmm. so often what I especially when I was learning what I would do with alterations is before cutting all the fabric like after you've done the alteration before cutting all the fabric off Mm -hmm. you kind of test it Mm -hmm. so I mean I'm assuming for for shortening the rise you went up through the inseam of the cloth yeah so yeah you kind of like I I I pinched I pinched how much needed to come up and then I I doubled that of course because of the fold and then you put that down by the the seam of the crotch 
and mark start your mark from there and then you just taper it down mm-hmm. to the side seam of the leg yes. so yes it's really not that hard once you kind of work through the process of it but at first yes. I'm like oh my gosh yes. I don't know how to yes. <laughs> but you're right so- and then I would try them on before you, you cut the fabric <laughs> And I, I was so conservative the first time I did this. I had to do it three, exactly three times. Yeah. <laughs> but you probably each time saw a little bit of progress. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But I also think, and and it depends on how people's brains work. But for me, as I was like getting into alterations, I had such a good background of pattern sewing Mm -hmm. that if I could begin to like mentally visualize like you get a pattern and you open it and it has it's graded Mm. so you can see where like so if the if the rise seam is too long imagine where the rise crotch line would be on the, the pa- pattern pair piece. that was graded smaller than the size that you were oh, on gotcha. and you know that it's up a little yeah. higher and so if you think through oh how would I oh there's like this is what I would do to get that there okay yeah so I feel like that those like visuals if we start uh-huh. to like connect the dots between pattern making and alterations like it's still clothing you're still working with like Uh the same kind of lines right and it's the same basic principles but it's just almost like in reverse motion yes yeah Yeah. but you have to get your brain to train to think think that way (laughs) yes Uh, it it does tend to sort of become fun and a challenge uh the more I do it uh so and and it really has become a more mainstream um thing to do now it's gotten popularity because Mm -hmm. of people wanting to be more sustainable Mm -hmm. and uh, not wasteful with clothing yes Um, yes and also just uh, the quality of ready-made has really gone down so much, uh, especially, yeah. I think, just since the pandemic. It's just that, you know, companies just have to do what they can, I guess, to stay in business, but they start taking short. Well, and also, for instance, like like we don't notice at the grocery store that they've made the cereal boxes smaller. We notice. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah. everybody's doing it in all industries. <laughs> They are. Yeah, I don't know if you've read any of like the, like the, there's like Overdressed is one of the fashionopolis, some of those. Um, but one of them, and these were written well before the pandemic, but was talking about how even the stitch length, they were lengthening the stitch length of the factories for speed. Mm. Um, and the interesting point that some of those were bringing out is that it's also like our and and then it's our fault but it's not our fault yeah <laughs> like our consumer mentality of like mm-hmm. oh well i can just buy new and it's almost like it is kind of like sickening when i also actually think well you could buy a piece of clothing for like five or ten dollars at like walmart Mm -hmm. 
And yet, yes, I could repair something. But like, when you think about somebody's making that, and there's this fabric that's being made for so cheaply that it's not going to last. And like, how many clothes do we need? And there's just so much there. And I find myself even as like, I sew more and become even more conscientious in that like thinking wait do I even when I'm thrifting well what do I want to buy do I need this like Mm -hmm. because we can all like that feeling of like I think we were trained to like oh just let me just go get a new outfit Mm -hmm. or like it's it's if you think of the outfit in terms of money rather than in terms of waste Mm -hmm. and so like oh it's only like 10 bucks I can Mm -hmm. afford that right now other than mm-hmm. wait a second, like what am I doing? Like to yeah. buy something I don't really need, or you know those things. And yeah. not to say you never buy anything, but you know what I mean. Sure, yeah, yeah. and just you know the fabrics, um, yes, are just not. I don't know. I just think that even just like fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. um, the the stores were. S- still making things with like you had cotton t-shirts not like the synthetic stuff and you know uh wool suits and you hardly see wool out there anymore so yeah it's just become very disposable and to me even like undesirable fabrics but unless you sew and unless you have time to sew uh you know this is what people are stuck with (laughs) which is kind of sad yeah (laughs) but uh I think that um my mindset too because I used to you know have a lot more in my closet just because changing the seasons you want something new and fresh um but I I've really kind of have consciously made it smaller I've started making some pieces and yeah and investing in more expensive, better quality pieces, yes. less yes. like, you know, put your money towards one piece mm-hmm. like that, that will last you and is made from a better fiber. Yes. Um, yes. And yeah. I, I feel like that's more the way to go than it is. This yeah. Ter- I Like this one um, store that I would... I still sort of sometimes go there, but not as much anymore because after the pandemic, <laughs> their idea of saving money was to make everything cropped. <laughs> <laughs> and that does not work on everybody type. And I was looking at the reviews and people are saying, what is going on with all this crop stuff? This is crazy. This doesn't look good. <laughs> and I'm like, that's hysterical. I'm like, that is them cutting corners and using less fabric you know what I mean it's so they thought yeah. oh we're just gonna start this trend again with all everything yes. cropped like cardigans t-shirt I mean, like yeah. everything oh. cropped it was crazy yes. yeah <laughs> but I just had to laugh that's so I had to laugh too because so one of my friends has um teenage daughter and she was like oh yeah we went back to school shopping she goes like but every shirt was a crop top and I'm like well I don't really want you you know and so it just made me think of that because just the other day and I wasn't thinking of it in terms of like they're saving money on the fabric I was just like oh I guess that's a new teenage trend but that makes total sense that was the first thing I thought of because this wasn't for teenagers (laughs) I could see how if it was for teenagers you would you would think that's a trend but no not for like you know grown plus size women it was very ridiculous so um yeah (laughs) 
it's just kind of funny, funny. To, to try to figure out sometimes these uh, manufacturers and stores and their little tricks uh, to trick the consumer. <laughs> um, okay, so... We're almost done here. I just want to talk a little bit about your custom fitted slip covers and um, your your process with customers. Explain like, you know, do you go out to measure and then you make them based off of your measurements? Um, no. <gasps> what? <laughs> so <laughs> typically my process is that they uh, they'll be like they'll contact me and say they want a slip cover made and I'm like okay so then I actually have forms on my website where I'll be like okay can you go to this form fill it out because then you can have all I just have your information down and like it gives me the basics of like you know, how many cushions there are a picture of it and then I'll be able to tell them how much yardage to get of fabric because I my clients are responsible to get their own fabric like I might refer them to sources okay but I also and I also give them like a guide to like um if they're doing like what weight they might want Mm -hmm. now and they're welcome to go other places but like I tend to steer them away from velvets I know that there are a couple people that like to like there's some thinner velvet that I've seen one person on Instagram do mm-hmm. an amazing job slip covering, but I clients don't always have the best taste in velvet. Mm-hmm. And way at the beginning, I had some people bring me like a fatter velvet, and it's just it's very it's a lot more challenging to work with, you know, like a velvet it, for Christmas stockings and not <laughs> home <yeah>. deck. <laughs> and, uh, and even so, when you're working with slip covers, if you're thinking on the scale of home deck fabrics and the weight of the fabric, you don't want the heaviest weight. So it might be fine for upholstery, but when you think about a slip cover, when you're at the you know the seams, especially if you're choosing to have welting, which I would say not all of them do. It actually has kind of faded in and out a couple of times of like, but I would say probably at least 70% have welting. So by the time you're adding that into a seam, if you're, you would have about four thicknesses of, and so if you're doing a heavy weight, upholstery fabric it just doesn't lay well as a slip cover and so the medium to let I mean lighter weights and of course you don't want too light or else it's not going to withstand the test of time but um yes making sure that you don't your fabric is an appropriate weight for a slip cover the weight of the fabric you know it's not like they're buying just two yards they're buying like seven to 15 yards of this fabric so and it really can't be returned um unless it's not been cut or anything you know what i mean it's just it's harder to return stuff like that so they've they've got a there's so much more involved with it because there's directional patterns and Yes. All of that yes. stuff that you have to contend with. So, but I think that your form and being as detailed um, as you are really kind of helps to mitigate any sort of of those types of issues, yes. right? Yeah. And I usually like if they're trying to go with a fabric that's 
you know, not the norm. Like, can you send me pictures or whatnot? I mean, and I have some really interesting clients. In fact, I did one, I guess it was last year for, she was making, she was an interior designer kind of, mm-hmm. and she was making an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. So creating a whole new studio. And I, I don't, I want to say I might've done four to five pieces for that Airbnb, mm-hmm. But the fabric she chose, you would not believe. One of the fabrics was, it reminded me of the Chinese New Year. Mm. It was the yellow background with dragons and lions and all sorts. Like, mm-hmm. and, and not small dragons. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like a two-foot dragon. Oh, wow. That's a big, big <laughs> scale. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so then recognizing that, uh, but like the weight of fabric she picked was perfect. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to place those on a slipcover, say it was the arm covers, you want it placed in such a way so that the dragon's facing up, the heads are in approximately right. the same position on either side so there's all of these things to be cognizant of when you do have a very patterned or picturesque um fabric compared to like if you're getting a plain yes neutral duck cloth which makes very good slip covers but the bigger the the bigger the repeat the more fabric you're gonna need to yes yeah yeah and like the more waste much more waste is as well Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's interesting. You must, you must have, I've seen pictures on your website and your slip covers are really fitted. So I'm surprised <laughs> that you don't go out to measure yourself. And oh, oh, I didn't finish. That's, that's not the end of the story. Oh, Sorry. Okay. Oh, I do not know. So then once the fabric, so then they get put on the waiting list. Once the mm-hmm. fabric's there, we have communication. Um, there's two options. Sometimes I will pin fit the whole entire cover there. Mm-hmm. Or um, a lot of times I'll bring the piece home. Like we'll pick it up. Oh, okay. Or I will... Um, Make it from an old cover mm-hmm. as a template, yeah. Yes, um, and then the other alternative, which I haven't done a lot of, but I actually did it for a good friend of mine recently, was she she doesn't live locally at all, and I went to visit her. I took an old sheet, mm-hmm. and especially because I've done so many, I kind of know what markings I need to know. And so I literally like drew out, traced each piece of the couch mm-hmm. onto the sheet and cut it out and marked like where the intersections mm-hmm. were and then brought it home and made a cover from that. So, but no, you like there's very, very exacting. It's you can't make it without having a, like either exact templates or right. Um, having the that's piece. what I was thinking. No, it's, yeah, no, it's very, but um, mm-hmm. I don't really meaning I don't really go by measurement as far as 
just saying, oh, the back of this couch is 72 by 40. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not good right. enough for no. me. Because the. Yeah, the, so I don't want to just measure the dimensions. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, um, and the, I, I love the fitted looks so much better than the oh, yes. floppy, floppy. Um, I mean, yes. unless you're intentionally doing this shabby chic, which was popular like 25 years ago, it's not, it, it does look a little bit too sloppy um, for like a regular, mm. if you're like, if this is even like, even a little bit formal <laughs> where you're entertained or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and some of those, floppy ones to kind of look like it but they're still semi-fitted and that's why they look good <laughs> yeah. yes yes but I have done a lot of wing chairs uh -huh. and I love that I mean they have so much character they do yeah like wing chairs have and when they have a really nice slip cover on like it's like the beauty of saving something from a different time right. period almost yeah, mm -hmm. and making it look, I don't know, modern enough or fitting mm -hmm. your style, but, um, to have those pieces, is just, I mean, yeah. gorgeous. I, so I, I, yeah, I, I always advocate for saving upholstery and just reupholstering mm. it or making a slip cover would also, um, save it as well uh, because it will be the insides of it will be so much better quality from back mm -hmm. then than it, it has been the past 20 years I mean just you know starting in like the early 2000s is when things started to be made overseas and mm -hmm. um, with different techniques and 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 not like the whole I don't know like mm -hmm. mortise tenon dowelly you know that kind of 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 craftsmanship uh yeah so yeah if all those old pieces of furniture are like treasures i think and to get them made yeah. new to that kind of quality is so expensive <laughs> it's just you know only the you know you have to you have yes. to have it yes. in order to make it new mm -hmm. yeah yeah so, um, all right, let's, the last thing we'll talk about is the classes you offer, because uh, you kind of have a nice variety on your website where there's a few of them, and when you click on them, it takes them to Udemy, is that what it's, how you say it? Okay, yeah, yeah. And there's others that are, uh, you have PDF downloads, uh, and then yeah. now you're doing tutorials on your YouTube, so go ahead and talk yes. about that. Um, yeah, so that's definitely a work in progress, meaning um, figuring out what people want to know and what format they want to know it in and just where they're at. Um, so people have been asking me to teach for eons, maybe about 10 years, mm -hmm. and that wasn't the time and season of my life. I think I just was busy. I had little kids, mm -hmm. like little like babies at the time, and I was like, I don't have the bandwidth for it, and so... Then I started teaching and just, you know, figure out, well, because where do you start with people's knowledge? And so I'm just trying to build that up a little bit. Like some of the ones on Udemy are very, very basic. 
Um, so I was trying to have like a platform to like build off of. And so I hope to be able to build, you know, begin to like build them more because I do enjoy, you know, teaching different techniques or different, you know, because people want it, right. You want to know and making it as useful as possible and as easy to follow. And I also think, you know, some people are more visual and some people are, um, like they like to just have a printed page and follow a book more than Mm -hmm. having to sit and watch a video. Right. So that was an option. And then like in person, so I've been teaching at, um, a, local shop here and sadly it's actually going to be closing this fall so yeah it it, which is sad and so the next door will open I may so I have some private students um and I'm always open to taking more as time permits but I definitely think that locally uh people know that I offer it but there is not a super huge I don't demand. know if I shouldn't say that a super huge demand mm-hmm. or it's like a time thing mm-hmm. um trying to figure out well what they would want to learn and in what order because it is interesting what I found is for classes locally um it's often that more from a hobbyist mentality mm-hmm. like and not anything wrong with that but like a group of ladies want to come and they want to learn how to um, make a cute pocketbook mm. or something like that, mm-hmm. which I could teach, but I'm not super into yeah. <laughs> into that. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like, well, mm-hmm. if it's not meant to be, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for the but then for kids classes, which is a lot of what I was teaching at this shop that's going to be um, closing, is I oh. felt like it was such a strong basis of my own upbringing was to learn from patterns and so you know to be able to instill that in my students because their parents don't really sew Mm -hmm. so they're here they are learning to use a sewing machine and so um all the classes that I did we did use a pattern Mm -hmm. but I was trying to instill in them like well how can you change it so like one of them was like the very first pattern was like pajama pants and it came without pockets, the pattern. So how can we change this? So starting to just, I wanted them to think outside mm-hmm. the box. I don't want you to think like it has to be the way this pattern is. Like this is the premise of it. And this is, you know, as we were talking about the alterations, like this is what line in the garment changes if you need to change the, the crotch seam and kind of helping them develop a little bit more of an understanding of that and to see that clothing, both patterns and ready-made don't have to be a certain, like you have the ability to do something (laughs) about it when you can sell. (laughs) So um, that's been a lot of fun. I think that's fantastic. Is teaching them. Yes. That's so valuable. I mean, that's, uh, I feel like that is exactly what we need. (laughs) That style, I love that style of teaching because it's um, it's just not out there. Um, it's mm. unique, and uh, to to especially with the younger ones. I mean, to get them to it's such good training for them 
and to be able mm. to think outside of the box uh, because, I mean, I know when I was sewing back in the day, I really thought that I had to follow each step of the pattern. Yes. And I never yes. imagined that I could go off course and add a pocket yes. or yes. take um, a sleeve from one pattern and use it with another. Mm. Or you, I yes. learned all of that like in adulthood after YouTube was out there. So <laughs> it's yes. such a valuable thing, I think, to teach kids and even adults of yes. that type of learning. I love it. Um and also what you had mentioned earlier about like the in-person and then some people like trying to figure out their schedules and times. And um, I, I love online classes because I've, I've said this many mm -hmm. times on my podcast, but I, I feel like I get a front row seat and a yes. very good view of what the instructor is doing. So I love that kind of a platform. And I think just um, our society in general are so online right now. I mean, it's just, that's, yes. that's how people shop. That's how people learn. And I mean, you can get a whole university degree online. So why not learn how to sew online? Yes. Too? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's great. Well, I, it has been so much fun chatting with you and learning all about this, this whole world of different type of sewing, mending alterations and sustainable um, yes. sewing and, and even sustainable mindset of purchasing clothing and maybe altering it to fit you better. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to share all of that with us. Yes. And before we go, I just want to mention um, that you offer, a, well, we just talked about a variety of downloads, tutorials for clothing alterations and repairs, and you're giving us a link uh, for 25% yes. off, which is so generous. Thank you. And the code, the promo code is all one word, make and decorate. Uh, so they can go to your website and purchase PDF download and use that code for the 25% yes. off. Yep. And all of the links to your website, which is naomifeta.net. Yes. Right? Yes. Naomifeta.net. Yes. Um, and the links will be in there for your website, your Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube channel. Uh, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Yes, it was it was just so much fun. So uh, thanks, and we'll chat again. If you love the Make and Decorate with Stephanie podcast, check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash makeanddecorate. You'll get a bonus episode every month, even during the months that the show is on hiatus. Thanks for listening, and I will chat with you next time. Bye-bye.